The scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the <coughs> first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruit, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For Christ has put all th things in subjection under his feet. When it, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expect, expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. The word of the Lord. Over the last few weeks, we have been... Am I all right, Jeff? Got me? Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at the gospel... And trying to say that the gospel is good news, but it's even gooder news than you've ever imagined. That there's way more going on in this than we typically think. And when you understand the gospel story, you understand the biblical story, um, I, I'm trying to argue that it should become like a worldview for you. Worldview is sort of your, your glasses, that you see the world, that you interpret the world, that you make decisions about the world. The good news should be your worldview. You should have a Christian, a biblical worldview. And I'm fearful that many of us as Christians do not. We say we are Christians, but it doesn't actually influence the way we see things, the glasses that which, uh, through which we see the world. And I've tried to make the argument that a biblical Christian worldview should be based on a story. And the story is a big story, and it has four chapters. Chapter 1, creation. God made the world. He made the world and he called it good. And he, he set humanity up, made humanity in his image so that they would have community and so that they would do work in this world. That God makes a world uh, that has to go somewhere and he wants to work with humanity to take it somewhere. The problem is, it doesn't stay that way. Chapter 2, the fall. Adam and Eve doubt God's intention and decide to make themselves their own God. Ever since then, we have all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of God's glory and God's intention. And because we were supposed to be the head of this world, we were supposed to subdue and fill this world, well, the entire world has become more chaotic and more broken. Example. Chapter 3, Redemption. God breaks into the world to do something about these problems. And when we typically talk about the good news, we say Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But it's way bigger than our sins, right? There's something going on in the world. He's got to solve these cosmic problems. He has to redeem. He has to pay the price for the fall. 
So Jesus lives a life of doing just that, undoing the fall. He does miracles showing the way the world should be without sickness, without illness, without, the, without storms, without the, the nature being in chaos. He brings even nature under his lordship. He speaks of this new kingdom, a new way to be human. And then he dies on the cross. He pays the price. He rises from the dead to give us new life. But here's the problem. And maybe you sensed it a little bit in the last few weeks as I've been talking about the redemption of Christ. This world's still kind of messed up, isn't it? Here we are after Jesus has paid the price and still the world is not restored. That's because there's a future chapter coming. Chapter 4. The world has not been consummated. It hasn't been taken to where it needs to be. And someday Jesus is going to do that. And probably of all four chapters, this is the one that we have the most misconceptions about. So be paying attention, and I may be pushing you a little bit in your understanding of some of this stuff. We believe that Jesus will return. We've already mentioned it in our liturgies, and we've already mentioned it in our baptisms, uh, our baptism liturgy. That Jesus is coming back. That all that is wrong in creation will be undone. But it doesn't just mean that God is going to come and undo the fall. See, that's not enough. God made the world with an intention that it was going to go somewhere. And if it doesn't go where God intended it to go, then sin has some kind of victory. So he's not just undoing the fall, but we are looking forward to this day where creation will be as it should be. Where wrongs will be made right. The biblical word for this is the word end. Whenever you hear in our passage, other passages, the end is the word telos. It means consummation, completion, fulfillment, destiny, finalization. Okay? It means the world has to go to where God intended it to go in the first place. Here's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians uh, that Jim read. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, everything about the fall, everything bad about this world has to be put under his feet. He has to defeat it all. It's not enough for him to just save your soul. He's got to save the world. Now, many Christians have two big misconceptions about this. Number one is our understanding of heaven. We think of heaven as this other place, normally high in the clouds somewhere. You remember from cartoons, okay? They, you float up, you get angels' wings, and you're among the clouds, right? It's actually interesting how little the Bible talks about heaven while we talk about it a whole lot. The Bible doesn't itself actually talk about heaven that much, and I think our understanding of heaven really needs some adjustment. In the Bible, there's a, a whole series of, there's like an evolution, a change, a growth in their understanding of death. In the early part of the Old Testament, they just thought death, they seemed to just think death was an end. You died, that was it. Then they got some kind of an understanding that God takes care of us after our death. And, and they, they thought of this place that you would go to called Sheol. And you'll hear Sheol in a lot of the poetry of the Old Testament. There's kind of this holding place. And then this sort of idea develops later of resurrection. The idea was, you know what? God is not just going to put us somewhere after death, but God is going to make a new world for us and give us 
new life. I believe this is what Paul understands when he talks about death. When Paul talks about death, you know what he says? Christians have fallen asleep. That's his language. You fall asleep, so you wake up someday. I believe that in the Bible, when they talk about heaven, this is primarily what they're talking about. Sort of a waiting place until something else happens, till resurrection happens. We don't just leave this world behind because the world matters. And I'll flesh that out a little bit in a minute. The second misconception we have is about our bodies. We have bought into something that is not a biblical idea that says that what we really are is a soul. You ever heard this before? And this body, well, it's just like a shell, you know, and the real us is inside. And when we die, we leave this body behind and we go off and our real self lives on. But that is not the biblical understanding of who you are. Okay, in the Bible, what happens is God forms out Adam out of the dust and then he breathes spirit into him. And that's who he is as a person. You are not just a spirit with a shell. You are a spirit and a body. And both come together to make what I think the Bible is really talking about as a soul. The whole you. And because of sin, the whole you is messed up. Right? Your spirit is messed up and you're bent towards sin. But how many of you have messed up bodies too? Right? You feel that every morning. The aches and the pains and the body doesn't work right. And your body fights against you. Right? But here's the thing. If God made you as a body and a spirit together, and they're both broken by sin, then if Paul is right, and he's going to make all of his enemies be under his feet, then anything that sin did to your body has to be refixed too. That's why resurrection is so important for Paul. That's why what you do in your bodies is so important. God does not make junk. He doesn't make junk in this world, and he doesn't make junk out of people. And God does not abandon what he creates. Yes, it's corrupted, but it will be made new. Here's how N.T. Wright uh, explains it. Uh, Pastor and scholar N.T. Wright says, The message of the early Christians was not that the world was going to be destroyed and that one better, had better escape, nor that there was, after all, an afterlife and that they had a way of accessing a happy version of it. But that the whole world belonged to the one true God, and that he was claiming the allegiance of his long rebellious subjects within it. See, it is not a biblical idea that your spirit goes to heaven forever. Okay? Because that abandons the world and ignores the whole part of the story. The idea is that you go to heaven, but that we all come back and are resurrected. That things are made new. Here's the big passage about it in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a place, as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Notice a few things. First of all, there's this phrase, a new heaven and a new earth. And we automatically in our mindset say, oh, that's two places, a new heaven and a new earth. But that's not what actually is being said in Revelation. What's being said is a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? They're together. Okay? And Revelation is making that clear because the new Jerusalem comes from where? Heaven. And comes to earth. So that where now we have this waiting place, heaven, for our souls when we die, then there will be no more waiting place. Heaven becomes earth. And all is made right. The world is made right. As M. Eugene Boring puts it. What a great last name, Boring. Biblical scholar Eugene Boring puts it. God does, make, does not make all new things. He makes all things new. Let me say it again. God does, make, does not make all new things. He makes all things new. So God just doesn't just remake everything. He takes all the broken stuff that he made that was good, that was fallen because of the sin, and he makes it new. And that includes us, by the way. He makes us new. And injustices are made right. The earth is brought to its fullest beauty and wholeness. This is why resurrection is so important. Because your body is affected by the fall. It has to be made new. It's not enough for your spirit to go somewhere else. For the story to be complete, God has to finish what was messed up here. The world must be made good again. And there is great hope here. Not hope that we escape the world. But a hope that the world will be made right. And I know I may be un, uh, stretching your understanding. I know this is kind of a deep theological point, but, but has huge implications for your worldview. Because the world is not bad. There is this easy thing that Christians fall into if we say, oh, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to leave this world behind, that the world doesn't matter. That what you do in your body doesn't matter. And that's not true. What you do in this world matters because it lasts, and what lasts matters. The other risk is that we try to save our world without understanding that it's Jesus who must be the redeemer and restorer of all. But the great hope of the Christian faith is not that we go to leave, but that, you know what, you've been hurt by pains. You've been hurt by sorrow. You've felt the sting of death and pain in your life. You don't, the, the great hope isn't that you escape that. The hope is that God brings that to new life. That God resurrects even the bad parts of this world are made new. And I'll tell you a great example of why I think this is true. Jesus is the first fruit, right? He's the first resurrected body. But you know what Jesus still has? Scars. Jesus, as a resurrected body, they can put their hand in his side. They can put the, their fingers through the holes in his arm. That even our scars, even our brokenness, even our wounds are made right and are made perfect and are redeemed by Jesus. So that whatever you do in this world lasts. Whatever you do in this world is important. Whatever you do in this world matters. When you go out and you work in your garden in the backyard, you're working with the things of God and the things of God last. So that makes those important things you are doing. When you volunteer at the hospital, like some of our people do, 
When you volunteer at all kinds of things, you are helping in this world, and this world lasts, so it matters and is important. When you build a company and you take care of employees and you bring value to this world, it's eternal value, and it matters. When you spend time with your kids, when you spend time with your grandkids, it matters because this world matters, because this world lasts. And what great hope. What great hope we have there that this world is going to some future time. That there is this new kingdom that is not yet really here, and yet it's already paid for, and it is really here. And we are the people that live out that now and not yet. And today we, we, we brought Riley and we brought Maeve into that kingdom. And we said, you're going to be a part of this movement, this, this, this movement of hope that says there's more going on in the world than we feel or that we read in the news. And today I really wanted to have communion. Because at the communion table, we remember this in a special way. Um, we often, uh, some traditions call this Eucharist. Eucharist, we call it that sometimes too. Eucharist has this past tense sense where the, the word Eucharist actually means to be grateful. And we're thankful for the, Lord, for the last supper that Christ had. And sometimes we call this communion. And communion has this sense of present tense. Because um, we are communing with God and we are communing with one another at this table. But the other term that we have for this table is the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper has a different connotation. The Lord's Supper has a connotation of future. See, when that new Jerusalem comes down, Jesus is going to be at the head of that table. Okay? And what does Paul say about communion? He says, we do this to show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Because once he comes again, we won't have communion anymore. Because we won't need the bread to represent the body of Christ. Because Jesus will be at that table. And he'll just go like this and he'll say, hey, this is my body. Broken for you. And then the full redemption, the full meaning of all of this will be there. Until then, you know what this table is? It's an appetizer. Okay, this is a little taste of heaven. Not the heaven somewhere else we're going to, but the heaven that comes down to earth. This is an appetizer of that future real last supper. The wedding banquet of the Lamb. And it harkens back to the first one, right? Where Jesus was with his disciples. He took bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup, poured it out, and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it. And we remember when we come to this table that someday Jesus will actually be standing here, not me. And we won't have all this because Jesus will say, this is my body. But until then, this is the appetizer. Okay? This is the look ahead. We don't just look back, we look ahead. And what a blessing it is to do that. Let's pray. Lord, be poured out, poured out on these elements of bread and juice and be poured out on us that we may be your body, that we may be your representation of the covenant until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen.